0: Now, if you'd like to uh, turn in your Bible to a Psalm 150. I was going to actually tell you a different psalm for some reason, but Psalm 150. Psalms are in the middle of the Bible. Proverbs are kind of to the right and Job to the left. If you want to turn to Psalm 150. I don't know, if you ever look at these banners that we have set up, maybe in our new place you might notice them a little bit more. But we have these six distinctives that our church, we want to be about. And over on this banner, you'll notice we have fervent prayer, bold preaching, and passionate worship. And I'm just drawing your attention to that, because kind of as I'm talking about Psalm 150, we're talking about passionate worship. And I believe everything flows together. If we seek the Lord in prayer, if we're actually like seeking His face, and we want to know Him more, and we're proclaiming and opening up His Word, and we're understanding in greater clarity, who God is, we see Him in a clear light, then what's the reaction? The reaction is you need to praise Him. You need to surrender your life to Him, but you need to proclaim in song and worship how good and great He is. So, Psalm 150, I'm kind of I'm going to kind of keep defining what do, what do we mean by passionate worship? Psalm 150 is going to help us do that as we think through that. What does that look like? We think, obviously, worship broadly, as I said, worship broadly, like every aspect of our lives before the control of Jesus Christ, everything giving Him glory, that's worship broadly. I'm just going to move this forward so I'm free to roam. And then you think worship narrowly. And what do I mean, worship narrowly? It's like as we gather together, as we sing songs to his name. Probably Psalm 150 will be focusing more on the, the latter part, the worship narrowly. But truly, every part of our lives is meant to be worship to the Lord. Everything we do, everything we find our hands, we want going to do it as best as we can. When we're alone, when we're with people, when we're with friends, we're representing Jesus Christ. But think more worship narrowly. My prayer as we look at this psalm, and I we I like prayed it, is that our praise of God would increase individually. So even in this next week, if there's like a song that you have that you sing one more time to the Lord, maybe two more times that our praise would, would increase individually, that our praise would increase corporately as we gather together. I don't know if we add an extra song. On our, on our worship sets. I just mean, I don't know, I hope that we just have a greater heart, a greater desire to praise His name when we gather together. And then actually from that, that we would have a greater burden to reach people who don't know Jesus Christ. So that more people would praise the name of Jesus Christ in Central Alberta. That's what I'm praying that the Lord would do as we look at in our hearts and our lives at Psalm 150. If you want to stand up with me as we read the Word of God this morning... Looking at Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. May God bless His word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. So as we're going through the the summer and looking at various psalms, it's like, why not end with Psalm 150? Well, because maybe we're going to come back to the psalms again. I'm just picking Psalm 150. I think it, it's a good one for our hearts to dwell on and for us to meditate upon, though even though it's not ending our series. Because it is the last psalm, but we're kind of like cherry-picking, or I am, so to speak, various psalms. But you think, why do the psalms end and starting at Psalm 146 to 150 with the Hallelujah psalms? Right? Like We all know Hebrew, Hebrew, hallelujah, praise the Lord, saying the same thing. It's not just the Pentecostal churches, hallelujah, it's just saying praise the Lord in Hebrew. That, that's all you're doing. But the, the last five psalms I'll end with, start with hallelujah and end with hallelujah. Start with praise the Lord and then with praise the Lord. Like Why is that? Well, imagine if you were just reading the psalms. You start in Psalm 1 and you're reading through, you're reading through, and you get to Psalm 146. Or you get to Psalm 150, like, how do you conclude everything you've learned about who God is? Well, praise the Lord. Like, that's the conclusion. Because of all the other psalms, there are psalms of direction. Psalm 1, blessed is a person who doesn't maybe go with this crowd over here, but they meditate upon God's law day and night. There's, there's psalms of mourning. There's psalms of remembrance, there's psalms of praise, there's psalms of thanksgiving, and often all those things are mixed together. In the psalms, you learn more about who God is, what is his heart, what does he desire for a follower of him to be about, what God has done, why we should praise him. So the natural landing spot, praise the Lord. I want you to see, maybe you've already got it, but just in that first phrase is an action required. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. It's an exhortation and an act. What I mean by that is, I'm, and I say praise the Lord, I'm praising God. But when I'm saying praise the Lord, I'm also calling you, who are listening, to do the same. That's what we see. Like It's not something you're like, oh, okay, yeah, there's a bunch of facts, I get it, and carry on. Like, no, there's a, there's a calling for everyone who hears this psalm, who reads this, to then praise the Lord. I must say, sometimes throughout the week because I'm I'm sermon prepping I can get distracted with all types of things (laughs) but this one as I'm doing it I felt the command I had to stop and like listen to a few songs and actually praise God like yes okay I get it I get what's being said and I hope you feel that too that when we finally when we kind of finish and we sing the last song you're like finally I get to praise the Lord you should feel that so there's an action required I hope you can see it as we go on. If if you look at the next section, so praise the Lord. The next kind of part of verse one is, well, where to praise? There's this action required to praise him, but where do you praise him? Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. And praise him in his sanctuary. We don't know who wrote this Psalm, but for sure it was in the time that they had the temple. We looked at last week in Psalm 84, that's where the worship of God happened, in Jerusalem, in the temple. Everyone went there. That's where God's presence was, the pa- place where God's people gathered. But even Solomon, after he built God's temple, as he dedicated it to him, says in First Kings eight twenty-seven, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. But I want you to see, as he talks about in his sanctuary, it's a physical place. where God's God's people dwelt. Praise God in the sanctuary and praise Him in the mighty heavens. Praise Him in the mighty heavens. Some see, is this a call for the angels to praise? Psalm 148, verses 1 to 2, it starts again. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise Him in the heights, praise Him, all His angels, praise Him, all His hosts. As, they, as we praise God in the sanctuary, we're also calling and praise Him in the heavens. That's what they're doing in heaven, right? Every time often you get a glimpse into heaven, what do you see? You see worship of angels. Just a, a few places to draw your attention to. Isaiah chapter 6, well-known passage. Isaiah has this vision of God. And he sees, of course, the Lord is on His throne. He's always on the throne every time you see it. But verse 2, And above Him stood the seraphim. These are a type of angels. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called to another, and they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Every time you see a glimpse into heaven, there are angels praising God. So I want to bring you to another passage there in Revelation. Revelation uh, 5 11 to 12. Okay, even looked at it last week. Apostle John has this amazing vision, has this amazing vision of of the throne. What do you see? You see angels praising God. Verse 11, I looked and I heard around the throne and the, the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads. Those are like ten thousands of ten thousands and thousands and thousands. Just this vast number saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So where do you praise him? Well, you praise him in the sanctuary. And you praise him in the mighty heavens above. Just as we praise him on earth, it's meant to praise him in the heavens. Kind of that verse can be understood in two ways. It's like everyone and everywhere is meant to praise God. Or like for sure where God's people are gathered they're to praise him and, and in the heavens too. And I think it's they're both true. <laughs> I love how this... One commentator puts it, Derek Kinder, he says, So the call is to God's worshipers on earth, meeting at his chosen place, but also to his heavenly hosts to mingle their praises with ours. Earth and heaven can be utterly at one in this. His glory fills the universe, his praise must do no less. I love how he puts that. His glory fills the universe, his praise must do no less. So we see here just in that first first verse, the command to praise and where to do it. And you think for us, for our own context, like we don't, we don't have a sanctuary. There's not like a temple we're going to, but you think where are God's people and where do they gather? That, that's where you praise the Lord. Of course you praise Him wherever you are, but I think the song's specifically talking about where God's people are gathered together. So for us, our context would be like the church gathering, the small group gra- gathering, the prayer meeting, wherever we are gathered. That is the place. Look at verse 2 of Psalm 150, and it gives us the reason. If you already didn't have the reason after 149 Psalms, but Psalm 150, verse 2, the reason to praise Him. Praise Him for His mighty deeds, praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Think about if, if someone, maybe a mocker or a bystander was like, why, why should you praise God? Like, who is God that I should praise Him? Like, verse 2 kind of starts to answer that. I just want to like, spread that out a little bit more if you're like, well, why, why should I praise God? Psalm 145, verse 4 says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Think of His mighty deeds. Other translations, His mighty works. Think of the redemptive acts in the history of the Bible. Think of just creation. like that, That's why you're praising Him. Because God made everything out of nothing. Ex nihilo. And He created it in six days. And He's spoken into existence. And He holds it all together by the power of His hand. That's why we should praise Him. Or if we were continuing on in Scripture. Think of the Exodus. That God's people were slaves in Egypt. And, and, and God sent Moses. And basically sent these ten plagues to show egypt all your gods are nothing the lord reigns on high hey you worship a god of the nile turn it to blood you worship a god who brings rain hails coming down destroying your crops actually every every plague was mockery of the egyptian gods you think about that how god took his people out of egypt and then brought them to the Red Sea, and parted the Red Sea, and they walked across us on dry land. Think of those redemptive acts. We must praise God for his mighty acts. Even if we, if we kept going, think of how God used a young shepherd boy, David, to defeat this, this giant of a soldier, Goliath, with his stone. Because God was the one in charge. God was the one who gave him the victory. Or if you keep reading, just these past number of days, I've been reading Esther. What a book Esther is. This this story that takes place in Persia. And I don't know if you know the story, how there's this, this guy Haman. And he hates the Jews. And Mordecai, who is a Jew, Esther's uncle, won't bow to him. And he's so mad that he's like, I'm going to not only destroy him, I'm going to destroy all the Jewish people. And he makes this plot. And what happens? One night the king can't sleep, everything changes. Esther, she's praying and fasting, seeking God, and everything changes. And what happens? And Haman, who wants to kill the Jews, he hangs on his own gallows he created. And God preserves the Jewish people. It kind of happens all throughout Scripture. You get a picture of that within Esther. Praise God for His mighty acts. And I could go on and on as you look through the Old Testament stories. But then you think you get to the New Testament. Praise God for His mighty acts. Praise the Lord for the cross. For salvation. You just think this call to praise the Lord. How can sinners praise a holy God? The call to praise it exposes the fact that we cannot on our own praise Him because on our own we bring our sin and our brokenness. What we bring to the table separates us from God. We need someone to deal with the filthiness on our hands, on our hearts. Jesus Christ, who came down and, and took our sin and our shame and died in our place and paid for our sins, so we can come before praise the Lord. Salvation. What Jesus has done on our behalf. So, even that call to praise the Lord on our own, it shows we need a Savior. We need someone to intercede between us and the Father. And as we believe in Him, we know that we have His Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to convict us, to turn our eyes away from worthless things and towards the Holy One of God, to turn our life away from things that are just pointless towards true life, to turn our hearts away from idols and towards the Holy One of God. We could go on and on, his redemptive acts within church history, beginning when Pentecost came, and to this day, that the church of Jesus Christ, there, there'll be times, there'll be cultures, there'll be countries that seek to smash out what God's doing. The church continues on. The church continues on. The church continues to gather. The church continues to be used by the Lord, the gathering of His people. It's an amazing thing. Praise God for His mighty acts. So that's just the first part. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Other translations, His unequaled greatness or abundant greatness. Just think if you were writing on a piece of paper... Like a list of all God's greatness, you wouldn't be able to to stop. You'd have to keep writing. Like, if you, in comparison, if you were starting to record the number of sand, number of pieces of sand, I don't know how you say that, on the earth, if you went to a beach, every beach on the earth, and each piece of sand you record one. Two, you would exhaust the earth at some point. You would reach the last number of sand. You're talking about the greatness of God, the abundant greatness of God. You just have to keep writing. You run out of ink. You need to keep going. You cannot exhaust God's abundant greatness. If we think about it. Just three things I want us to think about that. Think of the omnis. <laughs> One writer just says this, Joseph Carl. Car- he says, God is great. That is, he is the greatest. He's greater than all, so great that all persons and all things are little, yes, nothing before Him. So think of the omnis as Latin for all, that God is omnipresent. He's all places present. Psalm 139, 7-10 to 10 helps us think through that, where David wrote, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the lowest part of the earth, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God is always with us at all times, the good times and the bad. Praise Him for His excellent greatness. God is also omniscient. He's all-knowing. All knowledge belongs to Him. Psalm 147 Verse 5, the second part says, His understanding is beyond measure. Isaiah 46, 10 says, He knows the end from the beginning. See, all these prophecies in Scripture fulfilled, and then all these prophecies telling us what will happen in the future, and we know they will be fulfilled, because God knows all things. Praise Him for His excellent greatness, and one more, Omni. Praise Him for His omnipotence. He's all-powerful. Isaiah 40, 28 kind of gives scripture to that. It says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. He is all-powerful. Who can stand in His ways? Who can thwart His plans? No one. I'm just moving through quickly. So what's our response to God's excellent greatness, His mighty acts? It's, it's basically Surrender. Praise. If we truly see God for who He is, the only thing can be like repentance, like I am unclean, I need help, we need Jesus Christ, but then in response, and then and then I want to praise you. I want to praise you. So we saw why we should praise him for who God is. Continuing on in Psalm one fifty, verses three to five, we see the means of praise with everything you have verses 3 to 5 look at verse 3 with me and even as we look at this list of instruments we kind of look at them individually then we're going to take kind of what it teaches us and just think through what can we pull from that to to think about our own worship in our church like why do we do the things we do looking at Psalm 150 so the first instrument that we is listed there praise him with the trumpet sound or praise them with the horn. One commentator, Alan, writes this the horn is the instrument by which one issues a blast rather than plays a tune. It comes first because the sounding of a horn announces or initiates things such as the beginning of worship rather than being an actual part of them. In the Old Testament, they had the trumpet or the horn they would blow up before they go out to war, or they blow up before they're like calling people to festival worship. All the different festivals, like the, the Passover, they would blow the trumpet, or the feast of booths, when they would gather together, start times of praise. Maybe maybe that's how we need to start in the future. It's a big trumpet blast. It ruins like oh. <laughs> but it's interesting. So all these instruments, or some of them, I'm thinking, well, where else do we see this instrument in Scripture? Where else do we see it? And I'm thinking, oh yeah, the trumpet. And I pray we are pra- like we're praising him now, but I pray we'll be praising him when that last trumpet is blown. There's going to be a last trumpet call when Jesus descends from heaven and he returns and he gathers his elect from all the earth. Oh, I pray we'd be ready for that trumpet call. It's coming soon. It talks about it in various places in the New Testament. There'll be one more trumpet call. Jesus will return. Praise him with the trumpet, praise him with the lute. It's a stringed instrument like a mini guitar. Truthfully, I had to Google it. It's kind of small, probably, I don't know if any musicians have seen a lute. Praise him with the harp. Praise him with the harp. David in First Samuel 16, apparently not only was he was, he was a warrior but he, and he was a shepherd, but he also played the harp. As he wrote lots of psalms. And David, in 1 Samuel 16, well, the, the king Saul, he quit following the Lord. God took his spirit away from him and gave him this evil spirit that tormented him. The only thing that kind of gave him reprieve was when someone would play music. And then, oh, hey, we know about this guy David. He plays the harp, bring him in. Every time he would play music, this evil spirit would seemingly flee. I don't want to press that too hard, But for sure, when it comes to worship, there's spiritual warfare that's happening. If you think about it, the devil was a guardian cherub. He was like the top angel. And then because of his pride in his heart, he's like, actually, I wanna be like God. And so now everything he does, he wants to keep people from praising God. And as long as they're praising something else, like that's his goal, the battle is for worship. That's why it's something, I don't know if you've ever been in a place you feel like, man, there's a darkness, there's, a, there's something weird going on. Like, praise God. Start singing songs to Him. Start glorifying His name. You probably won't have a harp with you. But if you did, you could play a harp. I'm sorry, that, I shouldn't have said it. But, so we see the trumpet, we see the lute, we see the harp. There's so much more we can say about spiritual warfare and worship. But I'll just leave it there for now. I think that's one thing, though. Like, for sure, there's always a battle for our praise. The devil's like, I don't care what else you're praising, as long as you're not praising God. There's for sure a battle for that. Praise him with the tambourine. Tambourine and dance. The tambourine we see occurs with dance, actually, in Exodus 15. This is following... um, after the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land and then as they looked back an Egyptian army was pursuing the most powerful army at the time and the water came and like wiped them out Moses sings a song and then Miriam it says this Exodus 15 20 then Miriam the prophetess the sister of Aaron took a tambourine in her hand and all the women went out after with tambourines and dancing so tambourines and dancing together there and Miriam sang to them sing to the Lord he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. For those of us who are not musically inclined, a tambourine is something we could shake. <laughs> but maybe off, off key at times. So tambourine and dance. Also just notice this, the, the instruments we're going to start to look at were not part of temple worship. So there's like all of a sudden you're starting to get just all types of instruments we should use to worship the Lord tambourine, and dance. Dance. Is, is dance even allowed? Like we see it in the psalm. It says you can worship the Lord with dance. Just think King David, when King David brought back the ark into Jerusalem and he danced before the Lord. It says David danced before the Lord with all his might. Like just filled with the joy of God. It's okay to dance. One, a number of things that we're thinking through A lot of us, it's cultural practice. It's like, what did you kind of grow up in? When you gather together in church, maybe this is how you worship. Maybe this is how you worship. Like, just culturally, maybe this, like, that's what you know. That's what you grew up doing. What we see in Scripture, it's okay to dance. And I would also just say this to press back on some of the guys who are like, hey, we're just really conservative and we'll do that. And that's okay if that's how you're comfortable. But if you go to a sporting event, or if there's something that you're excited about, do you stay, just absolutely stay put? Like your team wins the Super Bowl, you're like, it's great. That's no, like you're dancing around, you're high-fiving, you're, like, you're excited. That's the one thing, like it's God so captivating our hearts more than the sports that we watch. Or it's just like, praise God. And maybe you don't have to just dance around if you're not comfortable, but man, just like, will God so move our hearts? Worship is, we feel comfortable, filled with joy. It's just so, uh, it's funny though. Guys, like the things we love though, we, we get active about, we can move around about, we can get very excited about. May God grab all of our hearts that we get more excited about Him. So there's dance, there's strings. I think that just, that was kind of like this broad term, any stringed instrument, pipe, kind of any instrument you would blow into. I don't know if anyone ever grew up like playing the recorder. It, like all of us, I don't know, many of us in school, y'all had to play the recorder. Why don't we have a recorder up here? There's got to be someone who has harnessed the the recording recording song. Then you have cymbals and loud clashing cymbals. It could be two different type of cymbals or two different functions. But what's really being said here? Tremper Longman says this, While some of these instruments are rarely, if ever, said to be used in worship, elsewhere in Scripture there's no reason to regard this accumulation of instruments as strange or eccentric. Rather, the poet, is, the poet is piling up a number of instrumental names in order to communicate that the whole orchestra is involved in this crescendo of praise. Like the main point is, like what means should you praise God with? With everything that you have. With everything that you have. That's the main point we want to see. With everything available. Think of our own church's progression. Where we're at, like at times we gather together, we're like, we're going to plug a phone in. That's what we have. We're going to praise God. We're going to go off of that. And then in time, praise the Lord, we, we have people with their gifts and abilities coming forward and with piano, with guitar. In the future, we've, oh, we've even had violin. Maybe in the future, God willing, we'll have drums. Have a nice beat to go with it. Maybe some brave soul, a tambourine. <laughs> Everyone can play a tambourine, but look, like, every... Every instrument we have available, we can use. It's not that, like, when we're called to worship, like, the whole church comes up. But really, we're all, we should all be up there with us. They're just helping lead us in song. But maybe if you have a gift and ability to play a musical instrument, how can you help us in that to praise the Lord with everything available? I think I just want to pull out more from this passage, what we see. For sure, I think it's telling us we need to praise Him with people. Like, that's what we see in Psalm 150. Praise Him with people. It's not a one-man band that's being called for. It's not someone who has their trumpet and someone who has their harp and their pipe and they're going back and forth. It's like all these instruments, different people playing them, coming together, right? I think we can see that. Praise Him with people. This other commentator says this, this psalm is also significant in reminding us that praise is most natural in congregational settings. We can praise God alone, but we should join our voices with others in celebration of God. Such praise moves a person away from self-absorption, first, by focusing on God, and secondly, by fellowship with other worshipers. I think we also see from this, you have all these instruments, and even in the last verse we'll look at, but it's meant to praise Him with song. We're meant to praise God with song. Tremper Longman says this, an impressive list of musical instruments reminds us that Psalm 150 was sung. Indeed, all the psalms were sung. Like that was like the church's worship book. For a long time, they would sing the psalms. And so Psalm 150 was actually sung as worship. But why do we sing songs? Like why music? Some, like music touches the soul. Having, having different musical instruments played, for sure, like it touches our emotions in a way that talking doesn't. I don't know about you. I, I was, I was watching this video maybe a year ago. In the past two years, it's been pretty tough for a lot of us. And I watched this video and it was talking about all the, all the pilots that lost their jobs. But there was this music that was playing in the background, and man, it just touched a chord and just like weeping, absolute weeping. In the past few years, I probably haven't cried as much as I should. But when I have just poured, it's been like music and a message tied in with music that's really touched my heart. Music touches our soul the way just speaking doesn't. So you think if you take that into singing songs to the Lord, how significant that is. We see that all throughout Scripture. Moses, after the the Exodus, after passing, wrote a psalm, Exodus 15. David, after he brought back the the Ark into the Temple, 1 Chronicles 16, amazing song. We see in the New Testament, Mary, after she finds out she's going to have Jesus, the Christ. In Luke 1, to 55, she begins, let my soul magnify the Lord. Even Jesus, after, his, after the Last Supper, it says in Mark's Gospel that before they left and he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, they sung a hymn together. There's something about singing songs together. We see it all throughout Scripture. Just think, I just want to bring your attention to the New Testament context. In, in Ephesians five eighteen to 20. Like we've seen in the Old Testament, they sing songs together. But in the, in the New Testament as well. Ephesians five eighteen to 20 says this, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. Be surrendered to the Spirit. And what will be the fruit of that? Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms making, and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to just see this here in Ephesians 5.18. What, what who are you sing psalms to? addressing one another like that's is, this is the significant thing when we sing psalms hymns and the spiritual songs we're actually we're singing them to one another and to the Lord and the reason I really want to just hammer down that point that's why I think it's very significant when our government in the times past told us to like muffle the praises to God and not not running down that rabbit trail too much but you think like, not only am I to sing songs to the Lord, oh he can hear me, but my neighbors are also to hear me too. We're to sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs to one another, to encourage each other. And so, some, cause sometimes you come to church and like, man, it's such a hard week. I know I'm supposed to praise him, I feel I can. But then you hear your neighbors praising the Lord in the gathering of God's people. This is an important aspect of worship. Looking back there in Psalm 150, I think clearly we're supposed to praise Him with order. Because you think like every musical instrument available, Psalm 101 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord. It's not that every instrument was played at the same time. It's like, you know, sometimes there's a harp and maybe that stops and there's a, the cymbals clashing and sometimes there's a pipe. We're to praise Him with Order. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. I already talked about if there are people out there who have gifts and abilities. Basically to, to come up here to worship, we need musicians who love the Lord. And there's a process to fill the application. We want you to come up and join us in praising God. We're to do it with song. Now we can just kind of talk about why do we do the things we do. We're to do it with song. Psalm 149 says this. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. We're to sing old songs, and Scripture says, and new songs. Old songs and new songs. Some people, maybe from an older generation, their, their heart language is sing the Lord Lord's hymns. And that's beautiful. Sing to the Lord these old, tried and trusted hymns. We want to do that. But maybe for some, maybe the, the younger generation, maybe there's, there's quicker faster temple songs that they want to sing to the Lord and maybe that's their heart language we want to do both we want to sing songs that are true theologically rich songs that give words to the overflow the praise of our souls even as we're gathered there's a reason that we have our kids in here we just miss them after we sing we want them to learn the songs with us they want as they see us worship Songs are a lot easier to remember sometimes than just words and phrases, right? You put it to music, it helps us remember. You have such a conviction, this, this praise the Lord, do with all means necessary, with everything available. In the future, we want to hire someone to help with many aspects of church ministry, but also to just help give a greater focus to worship, to song, in the future PowerPoint. So you see you do it with all means necessary if you look at verse 6 with me the psalm concludes with this the question well who is to praise let's see the breath of the command verse 6 let everything that has breath praise the lord praise the lord let everything that has breath everyone psalm 148 verse 7 it says this, sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, I'm sorry, praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all, all deeps. Verse 10, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. Animals praise God by doing what they're created to do. They're called to praise. As the birds sing their beautiful songs, they're praising God. We have guinea pigs at home. All they do is they eat, go to the washroom and are scared. But they're praising God by being who they were created to be. So animals, everything that has breath, they're included. Praise God. But humans, humans were created to praise Him with their lives and with their hearts and with their tongues. That word breath, everything that has breath, is the same that's found in Genesis 2.7. Where it says this then the lord god formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature you just think about that that all of us are breathing all of us can are alive because god gave us the breath of life that's why we're here today from this last verse i just want to pull out two big points the first is that worship leads to witness. Worship leads to witness. John Piper says this, missions exist because worship doesn't. Because I want you to see this, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. There's this command like drawing you in. You should praise the Lord. The call to praise God is a call for those who aren't yet praising Him to start. Even in the psalm we see the need to make the gospel known. Because people cannot lift up praises to God if they're steeped in their own sin and filthiness. They need a Savior. They need someone to help them deal with their sin. They need to be made clean. They need to have their sin and rebellion dealt with on the cross through knowing, believing, and surrendering to Jesus Christ and living for Him. Friends, people need to hear the gospel so they can be made right with God and then praise Him. That's like let everything that has breath praise the Lord it's Like I know people who are breathing but they're not praising the Lord and therefore it gives me a greater burden like, I need to tell them about Jesus because that's the only way they can praise God I don't know if there's anyone here listening is that you, have you heard this call to praise the Lord and you're like I can't, it's not me, not my life you see the command you know you can't because you're in rebellion against Him I'd encourage you, I'd plead with you, surrender to God. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sins, of your sins, sorry, and find mercy and cleansing so you can praise God how you ought to, how he created you for. So friends, I hope we see that, like this call that we felt is for everyone. Just whoever you, you interact with in this next week, like, he, he or she is breathing. There's a call in their lives to praise God, but they cannot because they're in rebellion against God. They need Jesus Christ. So worship should lead to witness. But verse 6 again, I don't know if you have felt the call, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. It's like, did they just forget they wrote it, so they wrote it again? I forgot to mention in 6 verses that word praise is mentioned 13 times. It begins with praise the Lord, it ends with praise the Lord. Like, can you see like, if we had to have reasons to praise God, all the psalms, they culminate with that verse: Praise the Lord." All of Scripture tells us how great God is. We see His work in our lives, but like why make it complicated? If you are breathing, if He has given you breath in your lungs, praise the Lord. Like often, like, wow, things maybe aren't working out so well. Maybe you're going through really hard times. And and that, it can be a struggle. But if you're still alive, if you're still breathing, like, that's a good enough reason to praise the Lord. Praise Him now and forevermore because He is worthy. Do it now, but at the same time, we look forward to the day we'll do it in heaven. I just want to read a little further there that part in in Revelation chapter 5, this picture of what's to come. John has this, again, that great vision. Then I looked and I heard around the throne of the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads, as ten thousands and ten thousands and thousands of thousands. Same with a loud voice. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And look at this, hear this, verse 13. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Every voice, wherever it is found, crying out to praise the Lord. That's where we want to join in. Do you see the command? Do you feel it yet? You're like, man, I need to praise him. In Psalm 150, we've seen the command, the action required. We've seen where in God's sanctuary, where God's people are gathered in the heavens above. We've seen the why because of His mighty acts, His excellent greatness. We've seen the means by any means necessary, whatever you have available. And we've seen who is to do that for everyone, everything that has breath. Praise the Lord. All that is left is to praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Are we okay? Is that okay to say that Hebrew word? Of course, man. Hallelujah. Like praise the Lord. I don't want you. I read this psalm, I'm calling out, I'm feeling I gotta respond with song. I'm gonna pray and then we will do just that. If you wanna bow with me. <laughs> Close this time of prayer. Oh God. Lord, I pray that we've been encouraged. To praise you in greater ways i pray lord that you would take this word and seal it in our hearts in the days to come lord we would find those songs that resonate with us that we'd be able to sing back to you we would increase in our praise individually lord that we would be more burdened to even sing your praises together and lord maybe we see those people around us who you've called to praise them but they can't because they don't know Jesus Lord give us eyes to see give us boldness to share oh Lord help us in all our lives and even now in response to praise you I pray in Jesus name Amen Amen and just just as we if you want to stand we'll respond in song this song A Thousand Tongues is taken from John Wesley it seems like a fitting response. If you just, if you even had a thousand tongues, each one of us, it wouldn't be enough. But may we praise him.